Morning. How's everybody doing? All right. Uh, my name is David. I am the lead pastor here. Uh, so great to see you this morning. Uh, how many of you have a friend or a family member that is so passionate about something that they can't be happy until you're also passionate about the same thing? You know what I mean? Uh, it, okay, if you don't, uh, let me give you some examples, and then you will know what I mean. Okay. How many of you have a Bitcoin friend? You know what I mean? <laughs> how many of you are the Bitcoin friend? Okay. I see you, right? These are people uh, sometimes that maybe if you don't have a friend like this, it might be someone who is just so passionate about Bitcoin or some sort of cryptocurrency. They've got their life savings in it, right? And they are telling you, here are 47 reasons why you need to do the same thing. Uh, one of my best friends actually is a big Bitcoiner, and uh, he once sat uh, my friends and I down for a two-hour presentation on how Bitcoin could change our life. Or uh, maybe you don't have a Bitcoin friend, maybe you have an essential oils friend, right? Okay, more of those, I see. Um, and maybe you're just in a casual conversation with this friend and you just randomly sort of bring up that you just haven't been sleeping well lately, and before you even finish the sentence, it's like they're pulling out lavender from some secret coat pocket, right? And why? Because they care about you, and they just want you to know what they know, right? Or maybe you don't have one of those. One of the big ones that I'm seeing in the last, like, 12 months are the clean eating folks. You know what I'm talking about? We got some of you in here, right? I see your posts. Don't hide. You don't hide on social media. Okay, right? <laughs> okay, that was really funny to me for some reason. Um, these are the people, like, they just finished the 40-day cleanse, right? And Which sounds so fun, by the way. They just finished the 40-day cleanse, and they want you to embark on a similar journey for the sake of your gut health, which is my favorite phrase of 2023. <laughs> I just always think, like, what my gut, you know what my gut wants? My gut wants donuts. That's, it. That's like what my gut wants at the end of the day. Now, we're poking fun of these three groups, but the reality is every single one of us has something, some niche thing that we're really passionate about and we want others to be passionate about. Like for me, I love to tell people about the glory and the goodness of Culver's. Um, <laughs> did you know that they're opening one just on the road here? Uh, just God has been so good to this little corner of, of Blaine. Um, Okay, but what's underneath this, right? Because all of us have this thing where when we're excited, we wanna pull other people into it. Here's, here's what I would say the pattern is. It's this, when we truly seek something, we invite, and I think we have this on the screen somewhere, uh, when we truly seek something, we invite others to seek it with us. Now let me show you what I mean, because we see this even in the goodness of our good book, the Bible. So everybody grab a Bible, there should be one in front of you, unless you're in the front row, it is under your chair. Uh, we're gonna be on page 724 uh, in John chapter one, uh, verse 35. We are in the middle of a, a six-week teaching series on chapters one and two from the Gospel or the book of John in the Bible. We've been learning a little bit about John the Baptist, uh, starting to see some of the early stories of Jesus. And if you're with us last week, we saw that Jesus was marked with a dove, and then John the Baptist called him the lamb. And both of these two animals, they typify a sacrifice in the scripture because Jesus is going to be our sacrifice. He's gonna die for our sins. Now today, as we continue in the book of John, the story is gonna to continue to transition from its focus on John the Baptist to Jesus. So if you have it open, uh, John chapter one, that's the big number one. Uh, if you find the small number 35, that's the verse, and you'll be in the right spot. Okay, 
Here's what it says. It says, the next day, John, it's John the Baptist, was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, same thing as he said last week, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? Okay, we're gonna pause there, but keep your Bibles open because we're just gonna keep walking through the word of God this morning. Uh, we read, we're gonna read in a little bit that one of the two that followed after Jesus was a man named Andrew. Now, Andrew is the brother of a very famous person in the Bible uh, named Simon Peter. But we read here, it's kinda interesting, that Andrew was actually a disciple of John the Baptist before he became a disciple of Jesus. And when he was with John, he heard John say, look, it's the Lamb of God. That's the one we've all been waiting for. So he begins to follow after Jesus. And Jesus turns around to him and says, what do you want? Now, I actually don't love that particular translation in our beloved NIV Bibles that we always use. In fact, if you look at almost any other English Bible, they translate Jesus's words as, what are you seeking? Uh, even the old King James says, what seek ye, right? But what is the NIV doing? They're just trying to kind of use our colloquial English language to just get at it in a fresh new way. I think the problem with that though is whenever you say those four words, what do you want? It kind of comes off negative, right? Like, what do you want? What do you want? Like, it's hard to even make it positive, but if you read this in the Greek, the original language, Jesus is getting this idea, getting at this idea of what are you seeking? What is it that you are longing for? And he's asking them basically this deep question. What are you seeking? One of the things that will jump out to you if you read through the Gospel of John, which I encourage you to read that book if you've never read through it before, is Jesus asks a lot of deep, deep questions, which is what you should expect when God comes to earth in the flesh, right? He's not gonna come and ask a lot of surfacey questions. He asks deep questions, questions that he knows the answer to, but questions that he wants his listeners to stop and ponder. So we've gotta do this for a few minutes before we keep moving in the text. What are you seeking? I want you to think about this. Like, what are you seeking? Like, what is your life about? What is it that you most desire? What is the purpose of your life? You know, I think a fun way to kind of think about this question would be, uh, what if you could hire a biographer and they came in and they just studied your life, right? They researched your life, they interviewed all your friends and family and they put thousands of hours into it. After it was all was said and done, what do you think that they would title your biography? Some of you are like, it would be the man who watched Netflix, <laughs> right? Others of you are like, okay, let me think about my life. What am I doing right now? Ah, it would be the mom who drove her kids around, right? <laughs> That's it. But I just think seriously about this. What is the story? What is the narrative that sort of drives your life? Now, I actually think that most people don't know the answer to that. They can't just quickly say, boom, this is what my life is about. But you should find out, because to be unaware, to not have clarity about the purpose for which you're living is kind of a dangerous thing. So how do you begin to unearth what your life is actually about? Not just what you say, but what it's actually about. I wanna give you real four practical ways that you can kind of discover it if you're unsure, okay? Here's the first one, number one. Read through your bank account statements. 
okay? So log on to Wells Fargo or whatever it is and go back through the last couple of months, like what are you spending money on? This is a principle out of our scriptures. In fact, Matthew chapter six, uh, the Lord Jesus teaches us, he says, for where your treasure is, where your money is going, there your heart is. That's where, that's where your purpose can be found. So what are you spending your money on? You know, for a lot of us as Americans, we spend our money on, on our house, right? Or on housing. A lot of us are house poor, right? Because that's a huge purpose for what we're living for. Maybe it's vacations, maybe it's cars. Where does the Lord factor in, right? Does the Lord get your first fruits, as the Bible says? So that's a good way to start looking at your purpose. Here's another practical thing you can do. I like this one a lot. Number two, look at your calendar. Okay, so get out whatever you use. A lot of you, I know you use your phone, so you can open your calendar app. I would encourage you to do this, even tonight. Just go back through like three or four months. Can you see any trends in there? What is it that you're filling it up with? You know, for a lot of us in suburbia, it's filled up with like traveling sports and those sort of things. But what is it? I mean, if you go through a whole year, is it traveling sports 42 weekends a year and then church, the other 10 that you don't have something? Is it full of business meetings? So what's, it, what's it full of? And we'll find something in there. I think sometimes there really is an incongruence between what we say is our life purpose and what we're actually living out as a life purpose. And just like Jesus says, our treasure reveals our heart, I think lots of times our calendar even more so can reveal our hearts. Because your calendar is going to reveal to you what you're choosing as most important, especially when there's a conflict. So when there's a conflict, what wins? Right? You're going to pick one, and the one that you pick is driven by your purpose, your real purpose in life, whether we say that's our purpose or not. Okay, third way you can start to discover what you're all about is this. Number three, look at your browsing history or app usage. Okay, some of us are on the internet four hours a day, some seven, some 10, some the entire day, right? And, or you're on your phone, what are you doing? I think sometimes we don't even know, right? You're just like on it. But what if you were to go and look through your history? Like, what are you looking at? You know, on most phones, I know like on an iPhone, you can go to like the screen time settings and they'll literally show you app usage. What are the apps that you use the most? It'll show you percentage, hours, everything. It's pretty fascinating, actually. That's an interesting experiment. Like, what are you doing? Are you, are you shopping? I know it's Christmas, it's unfair. Are you shopping three hours a day, right? Do you have 25 games on your phone? What is it that your mind is occupied with, driven by perhaps purpose? And let me give a fourth one. This one is very scary, okay? Number four is this. Ask your best friend or your spouse, okay? So, Here's something you can do. This is for the really brave, okay? You go to your uh, best friend and, or your spouse and you say, I want you to be gentle with me. I am a fragile person. <laughs> but what do you, isn't this scary? What do you think I'm living for? What do you think my life is about? And it might not even be a thing. It might be a state of mind. They might look at you and say, honestly, your whole life is just geared around you being comfortable. I'd be like, I said be gentle with me, right? Or you being happy, or they might look at you and say, honestly, it's like your whole life is about you just trying to get married or whatever, but sometimes we need that feedback because I think it's hard for us to critically and honestly answer what is it that I'm living for, but you want to be able to answer this as a human being, right? And where does Jesus factor in for you? 
Are you seeking him as your purpose? And if you are seeking him, let me give you an even deeper question underneath that. And the question is this, I'll put this on the screen. It's, am I following Jesus for Jesus? Or because of what I think Jesus can do for me? And I'm not sure this is even a question you can answer in like 10 seconds. I think this might even be a good one to write down or take a picture of, and even just in your quiet times this week, go deeper with the Lord and ask him this question, like why is it that I'm even following you? Is it for you or is it for me? And I think this is kind of a question that we need to ask almost uniquely in our time and space as Christians in America. And that's especially because, especially for those of you that are young, and I know we have a lot of young people in this church, many of you grew up in sort of the seeker-sensitive movement in America, right, where every week the sermon series was about how Jesus could help us. And so what's happened is I find a lot of Christians in America have inadvertently, right, maybe even ignorantly, they didn't know, they developed this sort of unbiblical faith that said Jesus exists, he is there to help me, to help me with my finances, to help me with my relationships, to help me with my anxiety. And what happens is then your whole faith gets sort of based around this idea that Jesus exists to improve my life. Well, you can see that's kind of a house of cards, right? Because we know that life is hard, and for a lot of people, and I think this is why we're seeing a number of people walk away from the faith. Right? Their life gets hard, and then they go, why am I even doing this? Why am I following Jesus? The reason I was following Jesus is he was supposed to make my life better, not harder, so I don't want to follow Jesus anymore. Well, what's underneath that? They're not actually following Jesus for Jesus. They're seeking really just worldly gain again. What is it that you are seeking? So you're asking yourselves, now these sound like surfacey questions, but they're actually very, very deep, profound questions. Why am I seeking Jesus? And the bigger thing is, what am I even seeking in the first place? That's the question that Jesus asks Andrew. So let's join the text again, okay? So we were, page 724, if you closed it, that's all right. Uh, We were John chapter one, and we were in the middle of verse 38. So we just saw this profound question from Jesus where he says, what do you want? Or really it's, what are you seeking? All right, next line. They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Uh, Can I just say something about four in the afternoon real quick? Sometimes, and maybe you've heard this from your friends, they'll say, oh, the Bible's just myths and fairy tales and legends. Well, one of the things that we know about legends, myths, sort of, you, you know, think like tall tales from the ancient Near East at this time, in this time period, is the legends never, ever, ever use detail. That's not in the genre of the story, but you see detail all the time in the scriptures. Like here, they mention it's four in the afternoon. Why? Because they're recounting what actually happened. It's a true story. Okay, thanks for letting me say that. All right, in those days, rabbis or teachers, they always had disciples. You know, so we see even John the Baptist had disciples, right? Jesus is gonna call 12 disciples. And if you wanted to become a disciple of a particular rabbi, you would basically follow them everywhere. And often you would live where they lived as they traveled. So when Andrew comes up to Jesus, and he responds, it seems like he's answering kind of funny, right? So just imagine this conversation. Jesus says, what are you seeking? And Andrew says, where are you staying? <laughs> right? it's, kind of, 
It's kind of a funny exchange, right? But if you understand the cultural context, it's actually not that funny at all. He's not asking Jesus for Airbnb recommendations, right? He's signaling to him, and Jesus would have known this as a rabbi, as a teacher, he's signaling to him that he and his friends want to follow Jesus. They want to come under him, they want to come under his teaching, and they want to follow him for him because that's what you did when you followed a rabbi. And they get to do just that, right? Can you imagine, by the way, what it would have been like to just spend a day with Jesus in the flesh? Whoa, right? How, how would that impact you? Like, if you got to spend a day with Jesus, what would even be the first thing that you would do after that? What's really cool about this text is we actually get to see the first thing Andrew does. So let's keep reading in our scriptures. So we are now on verse... 40. It says, Andrew, who's Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who had heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did, here we go, the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Okay, so it says, the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Peter and brings him to Jesus. Well, why is this? Why is that the first thing he does? Well, it goes back to the principle that we were talking about at the very beginning. We were talking about all those different groups that are passionate about things. It's this. When we truly seek something, right, and you experience the goodness of it, what we do is we invite others to seek it with us. It's true. You just kind of can't help it, right? It's why the Bitcoin people, they're off studying like whatever, like the political maneuvering of Argentina and how it affects the financial world or something, right? And you and I are like, that is the most boring thing I've ever heard of, right? But to them, they're so excited about it that out of their excitement is this natural byproduct, okay? And they're seeking something and they want you to have that same excitement and they want you to experience the same benefit that they feel that they are getting. That's the principle. And that same principle is true then on this really deeper and more important level. When you are truly seeking Jesus for Jesus, and that's what you're spending your time studying and pursuing, spending time in the glory and the presence of Jesus, what will happen is you will begin to naturally, as a natural byproduct, want to invite others to seek him with you. However, if Jesus is just a side story on the narrative of your life, of your purpose, which he is for a lot of people in churches, even in this church, if he's just kind of a side, oh yeah, I go to church on Sundays, sometimes I go to my house group, and I just, if, if he's not the main driving force of your life, then absolutely you're not going to talk to other people about Jesus. Because it's not ultimately the direction that you are going while you're seeking. And so in a way, evangelism, which is just a fancy word that we use for sharing our faith about Jesus, evangelism actually starts, if you wanna get better at it, it actually starts with you being more focused on Jesus. And that doesn't mean evangelism then becomes easy. I'm just saying that if you want your motivation for it to increase, your desire for evangelism to increase, it starts with you getting more focused on seeking Jesus. 
And so I, I think the question then for all of us in this room is what do I need to do this week? I'm thinking about this. Literally, as I was preparing for this message, I, I'm redoing some of my quiet time stuff uh, starting on Tuesday this week because I, I, I wanna go harder after Jesus so that this is spilling out of my life. In evangelism, it doesn't always have to be complicated. That's actually one of the things I love about John chapter one because Andrew makes evangelism quite simple. Like, what does he do, right? Did he say, well, I wanna begin sharing with you the philosophical reasons. No, he just says, hey, Peter, we found the Messiah. Why don't you come and see? It's over, right? It was simple. You know what's really cool about Andrew in the Bible? Every time that Andrew, I love this, every time that Andrew appears in the scriptures, he's bringing people to Jesus. John chapter one, he brings his brother Peter. John chapter 12, he brings the Greeks to Jesus. You know, I don't know if you read the story before of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Uh, if, if you have, you'll know that in the story, there's this little boy who comes and he has the five loaves and the two fish. Guess who brings the little boy to Jesus? Andrew. That's what he does. I mean, here's a guy who's basically living in the shadow of his brother, Peter, right, who gets to be one of the key leaders of the church, and he's, you know, he's got books of the Bible named after him, right? He's giving these famous sermons, like at Pentecost, and Andrew is just the guy who's bringing people to Jesus and kind of back out of the way. But some of those people he brings to Jesus do amazing things. And what I love about this is anybody can do that, right, just to say, hey, Come and see. Come and see. And I love this because, you know, if you keep reading the rest of the New Testament, you'll see there are different strategies for evangelism in the scriptures, all sorts of different strategies. And I think that's really important because different people require different strategies for evangelism. Even if you look at this county, so you look at Anoka County, you know, I would estimate that maybe 50% of people in our county now are never going to walk in the doors of a church. They just aren't. And so we have to stop pretending that they'll say yes to our invitation sometime. About half of them are never going to say yes. And so we've got to find different ways to bring Jesus to them. However, there is another half that absolutely will say yes, right? And what they're looking for right now is an Andrew in their life to come say, come and see. I find that a lot of people, it's hard to go to church, it's hard to get back to church if it's been two years or 10 years or 20 years. That's a hard thing. It just takes a humbling of yourself. And so lots of times people are just looking for an excuse to say, well, they invited me. You know, I, I, I gotta say yes. They're looking for you, for an Andrew to come along. That's one of the things that I've been seeing as a pattern in our baptism testimonies, as we've seen so many people baptize the last couple of months, is a lot of them are saying, I was invited by my uncle or my coworker or my neighbor. And what you find, if you kind of listen closely to their testimonies, almost every time their testimony does not start at that invitation. Do you know what I mean? Like God was already doing something. And then the invitation to come and see came. And so I just want you to know, there are people around you in your sphere of influence right now where God is doing something already in their life. And they're just waiting for an Andrew to come along and say, come and see. And I think this is a strategy. Again, it's just one strategy, but it's a strategy that works particularly well in Minnesota because we generally, not all of us, but generally, we don't love talking about deeply personal things one-on-one with people, okay? 
but we're okay with coming to a large crowd and sitting and thinking about such an issue. And I just think, too, it's important that in this particular season of our church's life, that we press into this particular strategy of evangelism. Here's why I say that. So every time I'm out and about uh, in town and I'm um, talking to random people and maybe they know what I do or they ask me, hey, what do you do for a living? And I share, you know, I'm, I'm pastor of Renovation Church. Everybody says the same thing to me right now. And they say, what's going on over there? <laughs> what's, this is a lot, what's going on? There's a lot of, const- are you guys, oh, is it done? Are you open? What's going on over there, right? Okay, now I think that's something that we can take advantage of. People want to know what's happening here. They're already curious about it. So let's say, hey, well, why don't you come and see what's going on over there? Not to mention next week, I don't know if you know this, it's Christmas, okay? And Christmas is one of the weeks of the year that people are the most open because of tradition or whatever. I don't care what it is. We're going to use that for the gospel, okay? They're open to coming and hearing about Jesus Christ. And so trust God this week. I think every single person in this room, we should ask right now, Lord, who is it that you want me to be an Andrew to this week? Who is it? Would you ask him that? Who do you want me to be an Andrew? Maybe it's your brother like Andrew. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's someone who has the cubicle next to you lives in the house down the road. Who do you need to be an answer to? Just send them a text or a link or share a message or call them up, talk to them at work and be brave to believe that God can use his word. It is living, it is active. We're seeing people come to Christ. We just saw another four people come to Christ last Sunday and God is transforming them. He's changing their lives. This is who we are, church. We are renovation church. When we leave these doors, we are renovators, okay? We're going out and we're helping make the old new. We are bringing the words of life. And God has tasked each and every single person in this room with a great commission. He has told you, he's told you, he's told you, he's told you that you are to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. See, because You don't want to get to the end of your life and look at your life and say, oh no, I was a cul-de-sac on God's great commission highway. Okay, you want the good news to come through you, flow through you, and spread and change the world of someone else. To not just change their life, but to change their eternity. So be an Andrew this week. All right, let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the example of Andrew, that it is simple that he just simply said, I found the Messiah, come and see. We just thank you for that. And Lord, I I pray, Holy Spirit, I pray that for every person sitting in this room right now, that you, in their mind, that you would give them an impression, a name, a specific person that they need to say, come and see this week. And Lord, we pray that we would hear testimonies in 2024 of someone who was invited to Christmas and gave their lives, and now we're getting baptized. God, we pray for that. We ask for that in the name of Jesus. And let me pray. Amen.